The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have your uh, Bible with you today, you can open it to Acts chapter 8. And we're engaged in a series of lessons going throughout the book of Acts, and we're going to be there this morning. Um, I just want to give you one more announcement before we get into the lesson and before we read our our scripture. Um, Next Sunday, uh, we're going to be going to a movie in Brenham to see Woodlawn, which is a faith-based movie, and so it's a movie with a Christian message. And we're inviting the whole church to attend, uh, not just the youth group. And so we'll be leaving here around 1 o'clock. The movie's at 1.50, and everyone's welcome to attend. Um, we'll get a group rate, hopefully, if we have enough people to um, go. And we'll be taking the church van as well. And so hopefully we can fill that up and then maybe need a couple other vehicles. So if you're interested in doing that, please see me at some time so I can get somewhat of a head count and I can let the theater know in Brenham. Acts chapter 8, let's uh, begin reading in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. 
the Bible is one big story. And each week, what we often do is we look at a small section of this grand narrative. And so some weeks, it is more important to know the whole story than others. In other words, sometimes a text can easily stand on its own. You may think of a a story or a passage like the prodigal son, which is a, a wonderful story in and of itself. But there are many other passages where we need some extra information. We need to understand the background of the passage in order for it to come to life. We need to know what comes before it. We need to know what comes after it. And that is the case with our text here this morning. Luke, the author of Acts, expects the reader to have an understanding of certain events that have already taken place. And so the major event that that happens in Acts chapter 8 is that the gospel is proclaimed in Samaria. And this is quite significant. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know that early on, Jesus gives us his plan. He, he lays out the book of Acts for us. He, he tells his disciples what's going to happen. We find this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And now he lays out the rest of the book of Acts. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The gospel we see here in Acts chapter 8 is going out just as Jesus predicted. God's spirit and the disciples are advancing the kingdom. Things are being made right. Demons are being defeated. The sick are being healed. Many are hearing the good news and they're responding by being baptized. Uh, we've seen this before. We've seen it in the ministry of Jesus. We've seen it earlier in the book of Acts. But there's something extra special about these events here. And it all has to do with where it is happening. You see, Samaria is not just another location. It's not simply the next destination along the road. Samaria appears multiple times throughout Scripture. And it is a place that would have caused a certain emotional reaction from a Jewish audience. I want you to consider just a few passages here. These are not all of them, but these are just a few. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at a well. And in verse 9, the woman asks Jesus this question. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman of Samaria. And John, the author of that gospel, explains this question. He gives us this little footnote here and he says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Then you have a little later in the gospel of John, John 8, 48. Where Jesus' opponents call him names. And so what's the worst thing that you could say about a person in ancient Israel? We find out here. They accuse Jesus of two things. Of being possessed by a demon and of being a Samaritan. 
this bad blood between Jews and Samaritans is worse than what you see between Longhorns and Aggie fans. It's, it's bad. And so calling someone a Samaritan, it's a, it's a low blow. It's the equivalent of saying you're possessed by a demon and you're also a Samaritan, you know. But perhaps uh, the most extreme case of hatred that we find between these two groups occurs in Luke chapter 9. And this is where Jesus and his disciples are traveling um, on the road to Jerusalem. And listen to what happens. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And so when Jesus and his disciples encounter some Samaritans who are unwilling to show hospitality towards them, the disciples think an appropriate response is to call down fire from heaven. Uh, you can clearly see the response is not at all equal to what happened. You know, um, The Samaritans were somewhat wrong. They did not extend hospitality to Jesus and his disciples. But that doesn't mean that they should be killed and burn up for it. If someone refuses to have you over for dinner... You don't then proceed to put a, a car bomb on their vehicle. You know, that's not appropriate on, on multiple levels. But we kind of see here how deep this hatred goes. Samaritans and Jews could not stand one another. And sometimes this hatred boiled over into violence. And so when the gospel comes to Samaria, it is a huge deal. God is at work. Walls are being torn down. This movement that has begun is bigger than any one group of people. When the gospel comes to Samaria, it's not without challenges. When Philip, who was one of the deacons that was mentioned at the beginning of Acts chapter 6, uh, when, he, when he enters Samaria... He learns that the people are enthralled with a magician named Simon. He's able to perform great wonders. And the people of Samaria believe that his power comes from God. Now magic is an interesting concept. In our modern world, we don't think much of magic. We think it's some type of trick or some type of illusion, a sleight of hand, something like that. But throughout much of history, magic was something real. It was something with power behind it. And it's possible that Simon had some, of, some type of real power behind what he was doing. Uh, it's not the power um, from God that the Samaritans think he has. But instead, um, when Simon sees what the apostles are capable of, he recognizes real power, and he desires their abilities. He's even willing to pay for this gift. But Peter lets him know right away that this is something that is not for sale. 
Now, the miracles of Jesus and his disciples are different. Not, not only in power, but they're different in what they accomplish. They are signs of the kingdom. And what I mean by that is they are a taste of what things will be like when Jesus returns. All things are going to be made right. Death and disease will be no more. The lame will walk. The, the blind will see. And so there is purpose behind every miracle that was performed by Jesus or one of his followers. These miracles are pointing to something in the future. They're pointing to what is to come. And so Simon sees a greater power, maybe even a greater purpose behind what these apostles are doing. And he wants it. So here we have this incredible story about the kingdom breaking into a place that seemed impossible. Uh, Jews and Samaritans were not supposed to come together, but clearly God is at work here. Uh, the people of God took a risk by even going into Samaria. But when God is involved, all things are going to work out as they should. Now, this does not mean the circumstances are perfect or will be perfect. Because when they enter Samaritan, they encounter this magician who has garnered a following. Um, they manage on converting him, but his conversion is not genuine. His heart is not right, Peter says. He desires something else. He desires what the apostles have, and he's going to try to buy it. So what are we to make of this set of events in Acts chapter 8? Well, there are several lessons for us today. And we should begin with one of the most obvious. God is leading the people where he wants them to go. We're told this from the very beginning. We're told it in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And we see it throughout the entire book. God is guiding their way. And so the people in the book of Acts listen to God. They pay attention to what God desires. They're not making decisions based upon what they want or what they like. But they're making their decisions based upon what God wants. And so in Acts 8, we learn that God wants them to go to Samaria. Now, this is not the mission field any Jew would have chosen. This is a place they probably would have avoided. In fact, we see this at times in the Gospels where they want to go around Samaria. They don't even want to go through there. The Samaritans and Jews hate each other. And yet, this is God's plan. This is what he desires. He wants these Jewish Christians to take the gospel to their enemies. We must realize that we are called to go places and to go to people that make us feel uncomfortable. Jesus offers us a blessed life. But at the same time, he calls us out of our comfort zones. And so he's interested in us being transformed, not simply staying as we are. We're called to love our enemies. We're never once asked in the Bible to just get comfortable. Jesus was very interested in reaching the people on the margins of society. And he expects us to do the same. These are people that are often ignored by others. They are ignored because they're different. They're unlike us. They hang around the margins because that's the only place that they fit in. 
And we must be willing to feel uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. We must be willing to speak to people that we may not normally speak to. We must be willing to serve others. One of the last things that Jesus does before going to the cross is he washes his disciples' feet. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to find ways to serve. And so our mission as Christians is not to climb to the top of society, but to serve the least of society. This is what we're called to do. And it may make us feel a little uncomfortable. Next, we need to realize that the gospel is show and tell. When Jesus or the disciples bring the good news to a place, it means two things. It means both speaking and doing. And so they proclaim the good news by what they say, but they also proclaim it by what they do. And if the gospel is going to take root, then we must do the same. We must follow this example. We live in a culture where words mean very little. And so we must also preach through our actions. It takes both. It takes people living like Jesus and people proclaiming Jesus. People need to hear about Jesus, but they also need to see uh, lives that have been healed and lives that have been restored. This is good news in the flesh. This is good news that people can see. And this is the pattern that Jesus left us. This is the pattern that we find in the book of Acts. We feed the hungry, we help the sick, we care for the addicted, we visit the prisoner, and we do all these things while proclaiming the message of Jesus. A church will greatly impact the community in which it resides when it proclaims Jesus in both word and deed. And finally, we learn that God is not for sale. Simon here receives one of the strongest rebukes that we find in Scripture because he tries to purchase what the apostles had. The things of God cannot be bought for a price. Um, here we're talking about miraculous gifts in Acts chapter 8, but we can talk about other things as well. Salvation is an invaluable gift. There's no price that a person uh, could put on salvation. But here's the crazy thing. Uh, you cannot buy salvation, but it's a gift that God freely gives. And so we learn in Scripture that God is wealthy. God is very rich. And what he wants to do is he wants to bless all of us. But we cannot try to coerce God. We cannot try to buy God off. He rewards his faithful followers, but corruption will not stand. And so the only way to be pleasing to God is through genuine faith. We cannot fake it. We cannot try and, and pull one over on God. But when we display true and sincere faith, our reward is more than we can possibly imagine. In Acts 8, Philip bravely enters a strange land where people are amazed by a magician. Now, most of us have probably never been to Samaria. 
We've never met a Samaritan. And yet there's something familiar about this story. Because at times we feel like strangers in a strange land. We may have been born here, but there's something within us. There's this desire where we long for something more. We long for a homeland. We long for all things to be made right. And we look around at this culture, we look around at this society, and we see that people are amazed by different things. They're amazed by politicians. They're amazed by entertainers. They're amazed by sports figures, and on and on and on. And so even though we are 2,000 years removed from this story in Acts chapter 8, it's still very relevant to us today. We are called to go into our towns, to go into our schools, to go into our workplaces, and to be Jesus to the people we meet. It's our duty to proclaim Christ in everything that we do and everything that we say. And so as we go back into the world, let us not forget our calling. May the image of God's Son be seen in us. Let's pray. Holy Father, we approach your throne of grace with hearts humbled by your awesome presence. We pray that we will be like your servant Philip, who went where you led him. May we not be afraid or intimidated by the places that you call us to. May we joyously serve wherever you lead us. We pray that we'll be able to bring people to Jesus by the things that we do and say. May we never neglect an opportunity that you place in front of us. Father, we confess that we're not perfect. And we pray that, that you will continue, continue to work in our lives to shape us into the image of your son. We pray that you'll bless us and that you'll be with this body of believers as we strive to do your will in all things. We offer this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.